Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, City Collective family. Thanks for joining us for Church Online. We're so glad that you've been able to tune in with us, and we hope that it's been a great morning so far, whether it was hosting, engaging in worship. Uh, We just want you to feel right at home in your home and that we can share this morning together. And if this is your first time tuning in with us, uh, my name is Jason. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective, and we're so glad that you've tuned in with us. Wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, this is a great place to be. Uh, Shout out to our worship team, Dan, Juliana, and Megan for leading us this morning. I love how we get to engage and it was beautiful, so thank you for that. And today, May 24th, it marks the final week of our series on the book of Jonah. There's been a ton of different things that we've talked about over the course of the last five weeks. Uh, Our journey through the book has confronted ideas of competing visions of of the good life, of dealing with disappointment, of honest prayers, of of apathy, of second chances, of power, of anger. And, And today brings us to chapter four, the chapter that can often get neglected. As a five-word Hebrew sermon was communicated by Jonah, the big bad nation of Assyria has immediately repented. God has relented, and chapter 4 brings us back to Jonah to see what he thinks about all of this. So, this morning we're talking about three things. The Hulk, two-year-old tantrums, and the scandal of grace in a sermon that we're calling When Things Don't Go Your Way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace that we can listen and learn to what it means for us in our lives today. I pray that in our homes, we sense your comfort and our peace, that as we are in different spaces, that your presence would just occupy every space that we are in. And that we would have ears to hear all that your spirit is leading us towards and it would, it would shape us. It would do more than just be a good idea, but it would start to transform us from the inside out. Thank you for all that call City Collective home, all who are tuning in right now. We're just really grateful that you continue to lead us. In your name we pray, amen. Now join us in reading Jonah chapter four. Jonah four, Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, but I am so angry I wish I were dead. 
But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Thank you to Andrew, Daniel, and Samara for leading us in that scripture reading. And shout out to the Teesons in our How You Doing segment. Uh, soon to be three whom we love a lot and are excited to celebrate with very, very soon. We love you guys. Now, here we find ourselves in chapter 4. We find an angry Jonah, a gracious God, in a repenting city. And in chapter 3, Jonah basically, he, he disappears after doing the bare minimum that was kind of asked. And now we find him angry at God for doing what he expected God to do all along. And there's, there's this deep contrast between Jonah's joy over his own rescue and his anger at the deliverance of the Ninevites. And this kind of sets the tone for the final section of the book. That in their attitudes to the repentance Ninevites, God and Jonah are diametrically opposed. Whereas God turns away from his anger like we see in chapter 3 verse 9. Jonah becomes angry at the beginning of chapter 4. And this entire section is marked by the deep gulf between God and Jonah. The, the understanding of grace which separates God and Jonah. So my question to you this morning as we begin is have you ever said something that you knew really didn't make sense, but you did so anyway because of how you were feeling? Maybe the statement wasn't fair and you knew it. Maybe it wasn't right and you really knew it. But you felt a certain way, so you said it anyways. Now, some of us, some of us are quicker to speak than others, and others are a little bit more careful with our words. But one thing we all share is moments of deep emotion. Joy, sadness, anger, frustration, all, and they all have a funny way of reducing the most brilliant and beautiful minds to a simple phrase of response. Now Jonah, at the beginning of chapter four, he is upset. And he's, he's essentially screaming out to God, you were who I thought you were. So shout out to Dennis Green, isolation. You might think, well, God must have done something really awful. But the phrase is followed up with how Jonah knows God to be. It says he was gracious and compassionate, abounding in love, slow to anger. This, this phrase that Jonah communicates is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's one of the most repeated descriptions of God. It happens over a dozen times. And Jonah is quoting directly out of Exodus, a quotation that God says about himself. Good one, Jonah. That's as that might seem, I can resonate with saying something that perhaps doesn't make perfect sense in the heat of the moment. Now, I love my wife. And I think that we're blessed with an incredible marriage. And, but, but we didn't read any books or go to any seminars or take any classes on how to 
deal with the first three months of self-isolation in your marriage. That's really difficult, and that's something that we, where we are blissfully in love. We're serving one another, we're speaking encouragement, we're making food, and we're sharing meals, we're playing games, everything is great. And then there have been some days where there are moments of boredom, of irritation, and just general feelings sparked by the self-isolation that have boiled over into unnecessary and petty arguments. Perhaps this is just us, but I would probably think that we're all experienced this to some degree. And I find that when I'm not heated, I have some killer arguments. I really think I got some great thoughts that come out in those moments, but when I get a little upset, when I get a little heated or frustrated, I can turn into Donald Duck blowing my top. Just the other day, uh, Adriana was asking me a simple question about wiping the counter, and for no good reason at all, I was feeling a little bit off, a little irritated. I said, I already did it. I did not already do it, but I didn't think it was messy, so I thought I could get away with it. But Adriana has a keen eye, and she had noticed these crumbs that were on the counter, and she says, no, I think you need to wipe the counter. And so I go over to make a point. I said, it's not even dirty. And I go over and I see the single crumb on the counter, and I said, aha, I didn't make this mess, you made this mess. You and your sourdough bread that is gonna allow everyone who makes sourdough bread to continue it when society continues. I digress, everyone's making sourdough bread and we're taking, taking advantage of the fruits of their labor. And Adriana loves her sourdough. So I knew that's where she cuts her sourdough. This must be her mess. And I go over and literally to make my point, I put my finger and I pick up a single crumb and while looking her in the eye, I taste it. And I taste it, and in my mind, I'm thinking, this is not sourdough. This is my burrito. She's right. And yet, I told her, this is your sourdough. And I was ridiculous about it, and I fought her on it, till eventually she's like, are you sure? And I said, you know what? This is probably the best time for me to communicate that I have been lying, and this is, I'm, I'm a little upset, I'm sorry. And we, we, we got over that moment after a little bit of talking it through. But it was unnecessary, it was unreasonable, it was silly, and I said something that didn't need to be said, and my argument wasn't very good, and I knew the reality, I knew the truth, and yet I was still frustrated about the space that I found myself in. And, and this is what I have discovered, it's a silly example, but this is how we often respond. That when we have these overwhelming moments of emotion, they can really reveal the selfish inclinations of our heart. And, and I don't say this to demean emotion, quite the contrary. I think that we have to have a greater awareness of what our moments of heightened emotion are actually trying to tell us. And this moment for Jonah, uh, of anger, of unreasonable arguments, of an ungrateful heart, shows us, the reader, what is really going on with him. And God recognizes it. And, and right off the bat, I want you to notice that though Jonah is belligerent, though Jonah is ridiculous, God is gracious. Jonah, he, he does this for us. He expresses the emotions that we probably know better than to say out loud. We all have found ourselves. He responds with so much grace. And perhaps some of you need to hear this this morning, that the validity of your prayers is not measured by the quality of your arguments. It is always received in the authenticity that you bring with it. Because God is gracious to Jonah and God is gracious to us. 
And this story is not meant to make Jonah look bad, but it's to reveal our worst tendencies. That, that grace is a great idea when we receive it, but we have a really tough time giving it to those who, believe, who we believe are undeserving. Let's not forget that the people of Nineveh represent so much hurt for the people of Israel. That this would spill over for generations, that this conquering nation of Assyria had a pattern that when they would conquer a people group, they would begin to intermarry with them. And, and the children who came out of the marriages between the nation of Israel and Assyria became known as Samaritans, and they lived in Samaria. And in generations upon generations, up to and beyond the time of Jesus, we see the deep hurt that the Israelites were still feeling towards the people of Assyria and they projected it upon the Samaritans. And, and we see how this impacted the way they treated them and spoke to them and thought about them. Hurt and anger, they drive us to unreasonable places. Now, at face value, I would say that many of us make the assertion that anger is bad. However, culturally, we are far more prone to vilify grace and glorify anger. Even with the simple idea of, of something like a chip on your shoulder, you, you use that moment to drive you, remember how they hurt you, be better than them, turn our anger into an opportunity at the cost of the people who hurt us. And, and we even see this in pop culture with a character like the Hulk, who is made stronger when he gets angry. Perhaps you've seen it in the Avengers or the Hulk specific movie, but we get excited when he gets angry. Because like I said, he gets stronger. He feels the power. He harnesses his anger and he exacts revenge. Sure, he ends up wearing glasses and pants in Avengers Endgame, but that's a different sermon. But just in our appreciation of the Hulk, in many ways, we enjoy our anger because it can make us feel better. It can make us feel justified in our response, pumped with adrenaline. But ultimately, our enjoyment of anger makes us the stopgap for grace. And God asks us the same question that he asks Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? Is your anger making you better? Is your anger healing you? Or is this anger that you are carrying with you somehow hurting you even more than you already were? This story is not about Nineveh deserving God's grace. It's about a God desperately wanting to free us from the rage that is stealing life from us. Just as much as you can desire for God to work through you, you need to allow God to work in you. Because the wisdom of the kingdom, the wisdom of Jesus says that forgiveness and love gives me motivation and power that the lie of anger wants me to believe is found in it. And this is God's first pass at Jonah to help him understand grace. And Jonah's response is, is, is really belligerent. He doesn't even have a response in that moment. He simply ignores him and he makes his way to the top of a hill. He makes a little covering for himself and he watches the city in hopes that God would relent from his relenting and re exact revenge that he desired to take place. 
And God, he, he takes a different approach this time around. After being the therapist, he kind of becomes a teacher and he tries to provide an object lesson for Jonah. He, he gives him a little shade from the beating sun and, and it rises up and it gives him, gives Jonah exactly what he wanted in that moment. And this is the first time in the book that we actually see that Jonah is happy. You kind of wonder if his, his happiness is one that's going to lead to gratefulness, but it proves to be something quite different because a worm comes along and it begins to eat this shade, this plant that's providing shade in this moment. And Jonah throws a fit. He's angry all over again. We're on a roller coaster of emotion with our two-year-old Jonah. He, he's angry, and then he's happy, and then he's angry again. And then God restates his question in a slightly different way to get Jonah's attention. And God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And this time Jonah responds. And he responds with a resounding, yes, I'd do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And instead of gratitude in the moment of provision, there is a deep sense of entitlement that is shown in the response that Jonah provides. Because this is what entitlement does. Entitlement imprisons the power of gratitude. In the moment where God provides Jonah for Jonah, Jonah is happy, because, but there is no inclination of gratitude. In fact, his response to it being taken away leads him to this two-year-old tantrum, and it's made at God for taking away what he never asked for, nor did he do anything to gain for himself, and he throws a fit because he didn't get his way. He can't see how God is trying to show him that Jonah has a confused version of grace that he's interacting with. Grace that is met with gratitude searches for the next moment to pass it forward. Grace that is met with entitlement counts down the minutes till it's inconvenient. When there is something presented that matters to Jonah, that has value to him, that he deems worthy of saving, he responds with this righteous appeal that he's angry, that he's livid. It was helping me. It was making my life better, and you took it away. And he was calling this an injustice. And Jonah can't see how he is again deciding what or who should be saved on his own personal barometer of value. And the story shows how problematic that is that when we decide that grace is a gift to us, but a privilege for others, we place our opinions and experiences on the pedestal of judge and jury in our lives. Jonah has decided that this plant was worth more than the lives of the people in that city. And this is what anger and entitlement does to our hearts it diminishes the God-given worth of people around us. Every single person on this planet is made in the image of God, no matter their background, their age, their gender, their experiences, their sexuality, their mistakes, their hurtful words, their bad attitudes. They are made in the image of God, and God's grace is just as freely given to them as it's given to you and I. Because God, He takes one final stab did one final pass at helping Jonah understand grace. And he says this. He says, you have been concerned about this plant, 
Though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who, could not, who cannot tell the right hand from their left and also many animals? And, and the comedic nature of the story continues because that's where it ends. This cliffhanger ending, this question at the very end where we don't know Jonah's response. And essentially, God is saying, you've got a soft spot in your heart for this plant, so maybe I can work with that. Because grace, at its core, is the most scandalous thing that we can introduce in our lives. Jonah is this ridiculous caricature of people. You and I trying to grasp the scandal of God's grace. And this is the scandal. That God loves your enemy as much as he loves you. And and when that sinks in, especially when we have fresh wounds from someone else, this chapter packs a punch because here is what God is trying to do. He's trying to get Jonah outside of himself. Because in this story, who is the hard-hearted, hateful person? Jonah. God is not only offering salvation to the city of Nineveh, but he's offering it to Jonah. Because this is what grace does. It provides healing to everyone and everything, regardless of how you and I feel about it. The offer is always given, and this picture of salvation given to both parties is a beautiful picture of how new life takes hold of our stories. That God is actively restoring the world all around us, but he does it first by beginning to restore and recreate the world within us. God is looking to heal Nineveh, and God is looking to heal Jonah. And when it comes to relinquishing the power of hate and hurt over our lives, the issue is not being okay with everyone and everything all the time. The issue is, what do you do with the emotions of repulsion that you feel in those moments? And this is what most of us do majority of the time. We tend to fixate on the things that they did to us. And we take this complex human person who has families of origin, a crazy story, people that they've wronged and people who have wronged them. Not not to excuse what they've done, but we've taken this complex human person and we need to recognize that they have a story. And what we tend to do that makes forgiveness seem so impossible is we tend to reduce their complex humanity down to the thing that they did. For example, someone, they lie to you, and now suddenly you associate them purely as a liar. And and you see them in your mind as this fork-tongued individual, and they're the villain in every movie that you watch. And we can't see beyond what is actually taking place. Because if you haven't caught it yet, this story about Jonah is meant to lead us to Jesus. Because when Jesus came, God in flesh, there was a new way that he invited us to follow. That if you want to see someone who loves their enemies, who does good to those who curse him, we only need to look at Jesus upon that cross 2,000 years ago, 
who made a decision that I will sacrifice myself so that the world can find new life. And he didn't just do it for you and for I and for good people in the world. He did it for the very people who put him on that cross. For the Pharisees, for the mockers, for the accusers, for the abusers, for the politicians. He did it for all of them. That he loved them just as much as he loves us. This is the story of Jonah. That God loves my enemy. And, and, and sure, maybe that phrase we can accept. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He says, follow me. And we're not sure what to do with the idea that, sure, God loves my enemy. But he wants me to do that as well. As we close this morning, I want to tell you a story about Gordon Wilson. In 1987, Gordon and his daughter Marie were attending a peaceful Remembrance Day ceremony in a small town in Northern Ireland. At the time, there was a lot of political unrest in the area between the British authority and some of the people in the area. And this, this terrorist group at the time had planned to set off a bomb to kill some police officers and military personnel. When they set off the bombs, it ended up injuring over 60 people uh, and killing 11, 10 of which were civilians. The rescuers, when they arrived, they were able to find Gordon and Marie and they rushed them to the hospital after digging them out of the rubble. But by the end of the day, Marie and nine other civilians were dead. Gordon Wilson held his daughter's hand as they lay trapped beneath that mountain of rubble. He, he, he survived that day. And he became a voice out of this conflict. And he ended up writing a, a book, and this is something that he shared in it. Said this three or four times. I asked her, and she always said yes, she was all right. When I asked her the fifth time, are you all right, Marie? She said, Daddy, I love you very much. And those were the last words that she spoke to me. He goes on to say, it's part of a greater plan and God is good and we shall meet again. A few hours after the bombing, when interviewed by the BBC, Gordon Wilson, he does something that nobody expected. He forgave the terrorists who had killed his daughter. And he said that he would pray for them. And he begged that no one take revenge for Marie's death, that it won't bring her back. And the loss of their daughter, it, it shattered Gordon and, and his wife Joan, but they were anxious that hatred would not rip apart that town. That the bomb had done a lot of structural damage, but it had also done a lot of relational damage. And as Christians, the Wilsons wanted to repair the damage between people and the forgiveness that they showed in that moment is part of what many people attribute to the turning point in that conflict. Gordon Wilson, he received many letters from people who across Britain and the rest of the world supporting him and, and, and celebrating his actions and his words. But there were many others who sent him criticism, sending him hate mail, demeaning his relationship with his daughter and calling him weak. And it's as if everyone was saying, why are you, you Christian, acting like the Jesus you claim to follow? Because this is the truth. Grace is scandalous. 
It causes us to respond in a way that no one is going to expect because you need it and I need it. And when we put down our hatred, our hurts, and our hunger for revenge, it can become the most powerful force for change in this world. Because the minute we stop placing conditions on our love and grace or our lives, they become and they begin to look more like Jesus and less like Jason, less like whoever you are. They begin to declare hope in a world that only knows brokenness. They they bring peace into the most anxious of situations and they reclaim value lost in the minefield of mass media and social media and they declare with the loudest voice, you are love. The forgiveness that Gordon showed in that moment shifted a conflict. And he made a decision that love was going to lead the way. And that's the invitation that's being given in this book of Jonah. Can you see a radically different way to look at grace? Can you see that my grace is not limited to the people that you like? Can you see that the grace that I give to you isn't meant to end with you? This is the scandal of grace. And if you're watching this morning and you don't know about this Jesus, God in flesh who came 2,000 years ago to show us a new way, his invitation to all of humanity and to you and I this morning is that if you want to begin this journey to follow this new way, you simply need to place your trust in him. Perhaps that's just something that we all need to do. That wherever we find ourselves, we begin anew every single morning to place our trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts right now. The deep hurt and loss that we've experienced. We mourn that right now, Father. And we're grateful that you meet us in the midst of it. I pray right now that you would lift the head of the broken, that you'd give strength and peace to those who feel weary, and that you would give us eyes to see the grace that we have received and the courage to give it to those who we are still feeling hurt from. May your grace transform us. May your grace lead us. And may we become voices in a world that so desperately need to hear it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or, if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.